Welcome to St James Bible Bites. This podcast was recorded live at our Sunday morning service and the full recording can be found on our Facebook page as well as our YouTube channel, both linked on our website. We continue our sermon series based on the Gospel of Matthew. Today the readings are taken from Matthew 24 verses 36 to 44 and Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. The talk is by our vicar, the Reverend Fabian Verts, and is entitled, Keep Watch. This morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 24, beginning of verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm afraid this morning you have me and me and me. Sorry for that. Um, people were um, supposed, well, um, expecting to lead but couldn't be present today. And we had to change something about the prayer. So even for the prayers, you will have me, I'm afraid. But we are at this start of the seasons of Advent. And I'm very grateful. It's always nice to come to a church and realize, oh, I don't have to change the color. Someone did that for me. And I think it's Martin, so I know him. So thank you very much for that. 
Purple is the season of Advent, um, preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ, the story of Christmas. Um, this season of Advent is a time for us to reflect on the coming of Jesus, who brings light into the world. It's a time to experience uh, afresh the presence of God, the gift of God, and the call of God upon our lives. It's also a time to look in hope to his return. And so although this reading is, feels a bit heavy to start kind of a season of celebration, it is this idea of looking in hope to his return and being those who are ready. So for the coming weeks, we will be following the lectionary, and today is about this story of, uh, well, the teaching of Jesus about the end time, how Jesus returned, the coming of the Son of Man, and the technical word, if you want to have it, is parousia. I don't know if I uh, pronounce it correctly. Now, Jesus says that there are things we are supposed to know about his coming, and there are things we do not know. So here is a question. Is it possible to know when Jesus is coming back? Well, if you paid attention to the reading, Jesus is absolutely clear that no one knows when he will be coming. That's what he says. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Yet despite Jesus' clear teaching, time and energy has been wasted speculating about the exact time that Jesus will return. And if you just type in Google, um, Christians predicting the coming of Jesus or predictions about, you'll see pages and pages. And in Wikipedia, you can see all the dates from quite early on. Um, I was surprised to see in the list, even Luther made a comment about a return. It was a bit weird. So maybe you know one of the best maybe group that tries to predict the coming is the Jehovah Witnesses. Um, they've been given quite a few dates. Uh, all of them have already passed, I must say. And we're still here. 1878, 1881, 1914, 1918, and 1925. And then there was a, a, a big expectation of the, uh, of the end of the world, Armageddon, in 75. But what all those predictions made people confused and they had actually to apologize in 75 about those false predictions. But even Christians are guilty. I don't know how many of you uh, read things when we came close to 2000. That was going to be a big 2000. The big bug. The world will be crashing. What Jesus teaches is that we're not meant to know. And we're not meant to spend time and energy speculating. However, the second point that he makes is that we need to be ready at any time. Why? Exactly because we don't know or 
because it will happen when you least expect. His coming will be at an hour when you do not expect him. In other words, his coming will be a surprise. And so we need to be ready constantly. Now to illustrate that, he takes the story of Noah. Noah had been given a message and a task. And both the message and the task was some kind of preaching to the people of his day. Both were pointing to God's judgment, righteous judgment. God's decision to bring an end to an era of humankind because of the sheer magnitude of evil. If you read in Genesis, it says, God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagine evil, 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 from morning to night. It's from a translation, the message, a kind of dynamic translation. And God was sorry that he had made the human race in the first place. It broke his heart. And God said, I will get rid of my ruined creation and make a clean sweep. But then God saw Noah. And... He wanted to save him. Now, I think that God in that time showed great patience and kindness towards everyone. He gave plenty of time and opportunity for those people to change. And I base that thought, I, you know, I can't find it in Scripture, but I base it on the fact that it must have taken quite a bit to build an ark. And I think each time he was hitting a nail, putting one more plank, building that ark, he must have had lots of conversation with people thinking he was crazy. And he was telling people, judgment is coming. And they had opportunity to change, to listen to the message. They had plenty of opportunity to hear, and mostly they talked about it too around. So for me, his life and activity were teaching them what was to come. But they paid no attention and they got on with their lives. And so in this reading we have they ate, they drank, um, and they built families, giving in marriage and marrying. I think it's so easy for Christians and non-Christians to just go with the flow without thinking about our maker, what it means to live in harmony with our maker's intentions and purposes and that we are eternal being and that there is an eternity coming, an eternal destiny. And so the third point is that Noah has had this vital message to the people of his time. And I don't think he said much, we don't know, I don't think he had long sermons, just his life. The way he lived and what he did was a message to the people of his time. And I think for us, we are now the message to our people, to our community, to our families, to our neighbors. And that's why we had this commissioning. What does it mean at St. James to become a people that are God's message to the world? How do we learn to tell people, come and see how do we have those conversations where people can discover God? 
we are called to have words that are life-changing because Jesus' words are life-changing. In Proverb, we have the tongue has the power, the power of life and the power of death. We are called to use it to bring life, to bring good news, to bring truth, to help people realize that there is a God, that this God is not far away, he's very close, he has come to visit us and he has made a way for us to be forgiven, to be reconciled, to be changed. So I wonder how Jesus' words and words of faithful question impacted your life. I wonder what kind of words made you take that step of giving your life to God, made you grow in faith. What were those words, those people around you? Think about them. And what are the words that you can share since then, the life that you have experienced, the blessings, the answers to prayers? How can you become words of life to others? Because Jesus' words continue to transform life today. We shouldn't be happy, we shouldn't be content when we are a church that doesn't do converts, and I don't like that word, but that doesn't see people finding faith. That's our purpose. God calls us to be his followers so that others will witness and come to believe too. The words of Jesus, the gospel is powerful. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. And so we have been given this great privilege. We have been called by God, and now we have this privilege to find ways to share that good news. And it's an important and it's an urgent message because our world is very confused and it's anxious. And here are lots of information and don't know what to listen to. And as we learn that together, it's not easy, but as we learn to be less stressed about talking God to people, talking Jesus, about just saying, oh, I, I see you struggling. You know I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Just that. Can I bring that to God? Because I believe he's real. I believe Jesus is alive, and I believe he answers prayers. When we do that, I believe we will see, we will watch with joy and, ast and astonishment about what God is doing, about the powerful transformation the gospel brings. And it's a task for each of us, everyone, in our own capacity and our own context. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, will be shared in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And your context is specific to you. If you're still working, and you might be the only Christian there, that's the only witness. You are there, and you need prayer. You need people to pray for you. If you're in your neighborhood, you don't have much Christian, that's your context. That's where God has placed you. So how can we grow? Well, this 
months, we're going to encourage one another to pray for our friends, for our neighbors, for our colleagues, for our family. Those who are in home groups, you'll pray for each other. I hope you'll make a list, maybe a list, three, five people, and commit to pray for them. Maybe share that with a friend, with your home group, say, I'm praying for them. And see what God is going to do, and be amazed. We've already kind of preempt um, that by giving you not one invitation, but two. So you have one for you and one for someone else. And look, it's both sides. So you have all the uh, events and services of Christmas on one side, and then you have the three performances, uh, stable manners on the other. More will be said um, through Advent and in January. But that's why we have two. Start thinking about one person you might give that invitation to. But there are many ways. Sometimes you have a conversation and realize, hmm, I wonder if that book might help that person. I wonder if that leaflets can help. And if you go to um, Christian society, um, um, Bible society, um, there are lots of availabilities. You can buy 10 leaflets about a certain subject, and you can think and pray for your friends. There are some at the back of the church. You might have a look, and you might find something that's helpful for someone you know. But I think we also need to open our eyes to what God does in our world. And God speaks through a lot of non-Christian things what we would call non-Christian, songs, films, poems. And you can use that, because people are touched by those realities. And you might uh, have seen this one, whoops, this one, The Chosen. Who has heard about The Chosen? Oh, not many. Well, that's um, a series that has been produced about the life of Jesus. And uh, I think it's available now at Netflix, season one. Uh, but also you can find, if you put the chosen YouTube, you'll find. And it's a very powerful retelling of Jesus. It's really powerful. And uh, I would encourage you to have a look. And as you do, maybe to think, oh, how can I maybe point that to someone I know? Um, if they have Netflix, they get it for free. Uh, I think they're in season three now. Um, so we only get season one at the moment, Netflix, but it goes up to season seven. They want to do seven seasons. And, um, and some of them, the way they portray well-known Bible passages, just transform you, the way you see it. One of my favorite is the woman at the well. If you see that passage, the woman at the well, it's so powerful and so freeing. You show, it really shows the kindness. There we go. So there is an app you can download and you can watch it on your phone, and you can sit with your friends and watch it together on your phone or on your tablet. So my fourth point in that passage, and maybe that's difficult realities, but something we need. We can't escape the message of a radical separation. We had it in, uh, with, with Ed speaking about the goats and the sheep. The prepared here and the unprepared. And teachers teach, Jesus teaches us this in a second illustration, he says, you have two roles of ordinary life suddenly disrupted. You have both men are involved in the same work in the field, and both women 
are involved in the same grinding of on the mill at the mill. And so it's not the difference in their work or the difference in their situation that causes separation, but it is the difference in their readiness. Taken, here it says, one will be taken, one will be left. Um, the word taken implies this idea of being with someone. And so in that context, the taken is being saved, being welcomed in God's presence and kingdom with Jesus. One will be welcomed, one will not. And so it leads to my final point, which is about being ready and having the love of others so that they can hear the message and be ready. And so Jesus then used a third illustration there to make his point clear. He says, understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken. The houses in Jesus' times were quite different. Now we might have lots of gizmo and you don't you know, mind to leave the house because you, know, you have your alarms. And... But that was not the case. Um, they could kind of um, make a hole on the side of kind of the muddy walls and get in, no alarms. So if you were not inside or if you were asleep, you were in trouble. Be ready. While we do not know when, we do not know that it will happen. He will come back. And if it's not in our lifetimes, we will go to him. And again, I have these thoughts, but you know, it's not in the Bible, so don't, don't quote me now. But if when we die, we're in that time of kind of rest, we're waiting, because when we die, that's not the end. The Christian hope is the resurrection. The Christian hope is when he comes, all those who have died will rise and receive new bodies. That's the Christian hope. So in that time where we rest, I wonder actually if the, when the time we die and the time Jesus now has come back and people are raised, we feel maybe a few seconds has passed. So even if we die now, Jesus would have come back like in a few seconds. That's why we need to be ready, always. Because all we will come in our lifetime, or we will join him through death. So we need to be ready. And to be ready, this is my definition, it's actively living out and working out a way of life that reflects your allegiance to Jesus and his purpose. So actively working out and living out a life that reflects your allegiance to Jesus and his purposes. And that's a lifetime of growth, reflections, obedience, change, repentance. And so we have in our passage those uh, readings that we've already explored about the five wise um, uh, young woman and the five foolish young women, you remember, with, with um, the wedding, and they were waiting. So Jesus says, be wise. They knew their master would return, and they were faithful in following the instructions. They had oil, they had lambs, they had followed the instructions. The foolish didn't. 
And then we had the parable of the talents that we also explored. It's really the parable of the bag of gold. It's not talents just in way of skills, but God has given you a bag of gold, not money. Some have money, you can bless others. But a bag of gold, skills, abilities, experience, educations, backgrounds, family backgrounds, and strength, influence, places where you can do good, opportunities. That's your bag of gold. And you need in faith to allow Jesus to use all that to grow his kingdom. It's about doing the best you can with what you have. Doing the best you can with what you have for his glory. And I think there are two dangers. We need to resist personally, but also as a church, to resist the urge to compare ourselves to others or to other church. And to do things because other church do it. No, we need to do. We need to do all this. No. God has given us one bag of gold, in a sense, as a church, and we need to be wise. Wise with our time, wise not to overstretch ourselves, wise to be focused, what God is calling us to be. And then we also need to resist the urge to hide, that was the thing of the parable, to hide our bag of gold, because we are afraid to make mistakes, to take risks. I think when we step in faith, we will make mistakes. It won't be perfect. But at least we try. We try to do the best we can with what we have. And when we do the best we can with what we have, God will say, well done. Good and faithful servant. And I like this sentence. You have been faithful with a lot. You were so busy. Thank you very much. No. You've been faithful with a few things. You've discerned. You've focused. You've learned. I need to learn that. And I need your prayer. How do we learn to focus? You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you now in charge of many things. The truth is I don't want to be in charge of more things now. I'm already too stressed. So I like to hear, there are a few things we need to invest in. And one of those things is to be God's witness, to share the gospel, to make friends with non-Christians so they can trust us. We need to invest time in friendship, invest time in the world, not retrieve ourselves. And I know, I know it's so easy as we grow as Christians we start turning around and realize the only friends I have are Christians. Because we lost touch with the world. We're not active. We, we might be so busy in the church that we don't even have time to go to a club with non-Christians, to do an activity outside where we can make friends. I think if that's the case, I would urge you, do less in church and do more in the world. The world needs our witness. And maybe it's good to do less and to be more active outside. So, how to find those priorities? How to be the people that share the good news? And maybe there's someone here that is not sure. 
I'm not sure I'm really a Christian. I've heard a lot about Jesus. I've heard about giving my life, but I've never really made that decision. There is a promise in 2 Peter. It says, the Lord does not delay. No, he's not yet here. Not because he delays, because he is, as he is unable to act, or he's slow to fulfill his promise. No, he delays because he's patient. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants you. And maybe you feel God is calling you this morning. And when, does, when God calls you, you need to tell someone. You need to say, I think God is calling me and I'm ready to give my life. And we have prayer team who just want to do that, just be there for you, to, sp- to pray with you as you come to Jesus There is this passage that says, I knock at the door of your heart. And there is a painting of that. And in the painting, there is a door, and the side of Jesus knocking, there is no handle, because Jesus never forced himself into one's life. The handle is on your side. I knock at the door of your heart, of your life. If you let me in, I will come in. I am good news. I am life. I am light. I'm going to change you from the inside out. But you need to open that door. You have the handle. So if that's something you want to do, but you're not sure how, what to say, do use the time of prayer at the end of the service. And for all of us, let us recommit, as we did in that commission, to be God's instruments, focused on praying for our friends, our families, our neighbors who do not know God and see what God is going to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for casting away the works of darkness and bring life, truth, and clarity. Help me to see more clearly how I ought to live in readiness of your coming. Thank you for your Holy Spirit for filling me afresh as I turn towards the light. Let me have on my heart all those who see no light, for whom all is darkness and despair. Give me your words of life and lead them to your light. Amen. For more Bible Bite podcasts, simply visit our website www.stjamestaunton.co.uk and click on resources. Thank you for listening and may God be with you today.